gosh, we make all this money. We just don't know where it goes every month. Without being honest about this, I had no basis for being able to move forward, make progress, and see real change in my life. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-founder of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California, and I'm joined as always by my business partner and my BFF, Jim Gebhardt. So Jim and I created this podcast because really I was a financial train wreck at one point in my life. And after working with Jim and, and being able to really right my ship and get myself in a much better place... It's really an honor for me now to be able to work side by side with you to to be able to help other people do what it is you did for me. Last time we got together, we kind of shared a little bit of the story behind financial sobriety. So I would encourage you to really go back and listen to that first episode to get caught up to where we are today. Because what we want to do today is give you more of an overview of what you can expect from the listening experience of your financial sobriety, some of the different modules that we're going to be going through. And also to make sure that you're aware of the book we wrote, Financial Sobriety. So, Jim, you want to kick us off a little bit here today and just talk a little bit about Financial Sobriety, the program? Absolutely. And I'm, what could be expected? I'm, I'm going to rewind the tape just a little bit just to help people with, with, with the train wreck, right, that was <laughs> Matthew, that in the span of 72 months, you went from broke to having a million six in the bank. Yep. Not a small conversation, as we would, as we like to say, between ourselves. No, it it took an incredible amount of changing my behavior. I I noticed that for the longest time, I had lots of thoughts about wanting my life to be different, even though I was living like a rock star and spending money like it grew on a tree in my backyard. There was always something inside of me that didn't feel congruent. It didn't feel right. I always had these thoughts that my behaviors needed to change, and I kind of hoped for change in my life. But nothing seemed to ever change just by hoping for it. Right. It really required that day of, of kind of surrendering and giving up and telling the truth, coming to you, having the courage to pick up the phone and call you and come down and see you and spend time with you for me to really begin that path toward financial sobriety. Originally, it was, it was all I ever knew, chase money, make as much money as you possibly could so that you could take care of your people. And if you could take care of your people – then you'd feel good about yourself. And you told me I was close, but I just kind of had that backwards a little bit. And what came out of that was a process that you helped me go through of really understanding what was most important to me in my life and then really working towards aligning how I was using my money to support those things that were really meaningful. Now, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't a perfect six-year period of time where oh, I did sure. all the right things. Right. Otherwise, you'd be on the cover of People magazine of or course, something. Of course. Of course. I still had to have that brand new Apple Watch when it first came out. Of course, to this day, it still sits on my dresser drawer not being used. You know, complete waste of $400. So I've had plenty of, let's call it, financial relapses over the years. But, you know, like Rocky Balboa always used to say, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. And let me tell you, this process of financial sobriety has not been a perfect process, but it has been a process of making progress. And... You know, there was a time where I was at the top of the very of the very top of the financial food chain, 
When I met you for the first time in 05, I was at the very bottom of the financial food chain. Now I would say I'm somewhere in between. I pay my bills on time. I make more than I spend every month, which is nice. So there's money in the bank left over at the end of the month. I have an intentional savings strategy. I have an intentional spending strategy. And although I'm nowhere near the top of the financial food chain of where I once was, I feel wealthier today than I ever have in my entire life because of financial sobriety. That's a beautiful place to start. Could you tee that up a little better? <laughs> I mean, so there, we what we talked about in the first episode is that there's three critical relationships, but most people get them backwards, right? It's the relationship that you have with your money. It's a relationship you have with your people, and it's a relationship you have with yourself. Your experience, my observation with many clients over the years is that people chase the money to make their people happy and they feel good about themselves. That's Fair the enough. I, that's the ideal. Fair enough. Sure. Right. So those being the three critical relationships, we've we've broken this down and the book is broken down into three sections, three parts, and we're going to start with money. Because you and I both know if we start with you, right, the self, uh, we go to bone too quickly, right? Yeah, we, that's, we gotta, the, that's we gotta the hardest warm, part. That's the hardest part. In the book, in our training workshops, in the curriculum that we've created, we've got a series of different modules or, or little you know learning lessons. And what we're going to go through today are just a very high-level overview of what those are all about. Going back to 2006 and seven, when you were trying to you know write the ship and and stop spending money like a rock star. It was all about what we call module number one, which was getting on the right path. Yep. That whole concept, we're going to get into a little bit deeper, so let me just keep rolling here. The second module that we talk about is the bag of crap analysis. There's a funny story that goes along that, so we're going to come back to that. And then we go to the top of the mountain, where that's where you've got the clearest picture. There's no money. There's no math. There's no dollar signs. There's nothing. It's just where you're headed. And then ultimately, it's the blueprint. The blueprint for what strategies can help you move forward. Because ultimately, we want to answer the question, yes, I can blank, right? Yes, I can retire. Yes, I can send my kids to college. Yes, I can fund a charity that my family's passionate about or lodging accommodations or whatever whatever it is, whatever's on your wish list, the things you're most passionate about. So let's jump into some of the things that you and Amy, your beloved, right, from the age of 16, had to do to write the ship. The very, I mean, the very first thing we had to do was really understand what money meant to us. And, and the way we did that was, was you asking us a couple of questions that required us to do a little bit of writing. One of the first questions you had asked us is, what were some of our money fears? Right? What were we most afraid of? What kept us up at night most about money? And what I would suggest right now is, is to push pause on, on the podcast and actually take out a piece of paper and go through this exercise with me because this, this was really powerful for me. When, when you had us do this, Jim, this took time. So let, let's press pause on the podcast. Let's write out this question of what is it we fear most about money? What keeps us up at night about money? Not having enough having too much. If you have too much, is it going to spoil your kids or your grandkids? Not having enough, you're not going to be able to achieve or or reach some of the aspirations that you have for yourself, your family, for your people, your community. Yeah. For, and let it rip. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it, it centered around not being able to take care of my people. 
that's what it really centered on. And for me, it was a pretty long writing exercise. I'm, I'm not going to spoil yet where I came to with that writing exercise because I want you, our, our podcast listener, to really find that for yourself, right? So this is a good exercise. Let's push pause for a minute and let's have you do a little bit of writing on what keeps you up at night most about money. How'd that go? How'd that writing go for you? I know for me, it was scary. The things about money that I feared the most was my ability to put food on the table, my ability to pay my mortgage every month. I had this crazy fear that I was going to lose my house if I didn't go out and grind and have money every day. Where would we go if we didn't have a home? And for me at that point, it was so much more about keeping up with the people in my community, keeping up appearances, having the kind of home that was expected of me to have having the kind of clothing, the kind of car, the kinds of things that I was supposed to have. The first time I did that exercise, that's where all those fears came from. And it's a powerful exercise because you're essentially admitting to yourself who the gremlins are money-wise. And getting it down on paper is helpful. So if you didn't have the opportunity to do that, maybe you were commuting, maybe you were at the gym, we really encourage you to take a couple of minutes and do it, get it down on paper. The next question that we always like to ask clients is... What does financial security actually mean to you? What does financial security actually mean to you? And immediately, I think of myself and my wife, Beth, and a client in the same very similar circumstance. Financial security for my wife is always having enough in the checking account at the end of the month. Did we have to pull anything over from savings to cover the shortfall for the month? Financial security for me couldn't be any more opposite. Mine is more the long-term college and the retirement and the, all those things that are many, many years, if not decades down the road. And this constant kind of battle that Beth and I have with, we're, honey, we're fine. Well, there's $12 in the checking account, Jim. Okay, well, we'll move some money over from Schwab. It's no big deal. Clients that you and I both know very, very well will we'll make their names up as Tracy and Tom for today. They had the same exact struggle. I think a lot of people that we've met with over the years. I, I think this is a little more common than maybe we think because, you know, we're, we're in our own little biosphere working with our 175 clients, right? And I think when we get outside of that and we talk to more and more people, I think we're going to find that that's a more common theme because it seems to be a common theme within our practice with people. I know that's the same thing for Amy and for me is that we're not always on the same page about what financial security means to us. Much like in your family, financial security meant different things for Amy and for me. Now, Amy was more like you in that financial security was about having assets for some of these big future expenses that we were looking at, like how are we going to get our boys through college? How are we going to handle the repairs on a home that we bought? We, we wound up buying a home in, here in Rockland, California that was built in 1981. It's on a big, beautiful piece of property, but it's very much a fixer-upper that we knew was going to cost us significantly over the years. How are we going to be able to afford the upkeep on this older home as it aged and time went on? How would we be able to afford the kind of retirement that we want? For me, financial security was was about being able to afford the nice European car in my driveway. Right. It was about being able to afford that dinner at Ruth's Chris that I wanted to do every Friday night. Sure. Fortunately for me, a lot of that's changed, and now financial security represents something much more different to me. And what's happened is my wife and I have gotten, Amy and I have gotten much more aligned as to what that looks like. 
So the second time I did this writing exercise, and I'm going to encourage you to do this writing exercise a couple of times, maybe do one now where, again, we push pause on the podcast, see what financial sobriety means to us now, and then several episodes from now, we're going to circle back to this and see if your view on financial security has changed, because I know mine sure has. And I know that the gap between Amy and me and our definitions of financial security have come much closer together, because now financial security for us is so much more about being able to be with the people that bring energy into our lives, experiencing the intimate things with these people that mean the most to us, like our ability to sit down and do a jigsaw puzzle together, having the security to do that, to be able to experience the world, to have the funds to go travel to the East Coast to visit with our family. Those are the types of things that make us feel like we're financially secure. So it's become about having those reserves in the bank, three months for some six months worth of expenses so that we could actually afford to do these things that bring great joy into our lives. And for everybody, that number might be a little bit different. One of the things that we're consulting with our individual clients, and we talk about a little bit in the first episode about barrels of money, that very first barrel is their financial security bucket, right? It's, it's how much money do they need set aside to be able to breathe and feel comfortable? Could be three months, could be six months. Those are some of the more conventional numbers that have been thrown around in our trade for decades. We have clients that are keeping two and three years worth of cash on the sidelines. And that is that is not meant to say that's what you should aspire to. It is meant to say this is a very personal, very, very intentional journey that we want you to get comfortable with in terms of looking at what does it mean to you? Not what everybody else does. Not what you think your parents or your in-laws think you should answer the question. But just to check in with yourself and to get comfortable with what does that mean for you? I don't need to have a lot of cash in the bank because I know I can go to work and make more money. Now, for other people, that would keep them up at night. They'd freak at that. I think you bring up a very important point that this is really a personal decision. And it's not something really that anyone like you or I can tell somebody what represents financial security. Yeah, there's no rights or wrongs on this stuff. No, no. This isn't about what you learned in economics class or what your grandfather taught you or any, I mean, this, this is meant to be a real self-discovery on what is right for you, what fits for you. And that's so much about what we want this experience and for our listeners and clients that we work with to be all about it. It's not what you and I think, right? I mean, that's, that's not the whole point of this. The whole point of this is what works for you. So if, Keeping you up at night is your husband losing his job or you losing your job or whatever it is. That's that's what it is. And be okay with it. Don't have any judgment around, well, maybe it should be this. Also, I think we need to realize here that we're not going to solve that fear or that worry today. Not at all. This is really just about getting it out there, getting it on paper. Whether you push pause today on our podcast and start writing this out, or you choose to do this after the podcast, these are two huge questions that once you start journaling a little bit, I know for me, I found that this this brought a little bit of peace to me because it got the fear out of my head. As, as long as that fear was in my head and in my body, it caused me to lose sleep at night, literally. 
I would wake up in the middle of the night. Of course, I thought it was just because I had to go to the bathroom, but it wasn't because then I couldn't go back to sleep because these thoughts would be racing around in my head. It's incredible. It, it's, it's almost like a, like a physiological thing that happens when we actually get this written down on paper. And I think what's going to be really helpful is as we go through more and more of these modules of financial sobriety, there's going to be a lot of these types of writing exercises where we're getting these things that we constantly think about and keep all bottled up in our heads and inside our bodies, and we're going to get them out on paper, which, again, physiologically does something. It, it, it almost transfers that energy from inside of you, out of you, onto this piece of paper, which, at least from my experience, has then let me address these concerns that I've had by putting a game plan together. And that's something you started with me back in 2005. And again, we never knew what we were doing. It was just it was just stuff we did. And I'm so thankful that you and I have taken the time to actually go back and look at what that process was, where we started, and how this one module of getting started on the right path is really about identifying those fears, those worries, those definitions that were maybe a little muddier as you and I were going through it together those years ago. And being the the adorable financial train wreck that you were, <laughs> you can't know how to course correct unless you've made some mistakes. Right. For me, working with clients, they have so much baggage and, and so much, I don't know if shame's the right word, but they just, they feel very uncomfortable. I mean, we have clients that I'll pick on Bob, who was, uh, that's not his name, but he was an executive in Silicon Valley who was making a million five to push in $2 million a year. And he came in essentially into our office feeling about two feet tall, even though he's a six foot six giant, ashamed of his money behaviors. Unless you've had some warts and flaws and a little bit of scar tissue, you can't really right the ship. And I think once you start to look at where you've come from, right, and your process of allowing yourself to acknowledge the, the money mistakes that you've made, right, that's part of where this scarcity is going to come from, this fear is going to come from, is people will be thinking, well, you know, I should have done this, or I, sh I should have done that, or I should have been better, or I should have been saving more, blah, 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 blah. And that's where some of that fear comes from, is am I still going to be okay, well, you've, you've always taught me something very profound, which is if the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, nice. the next best time is to do it right now. And what I think for me, I had to be willing to look at to do this exercise to get started on the right path by exploring what keeps me up at night about money, by looking at what financial security really means to me, was I had to be willing to be honest how refreshing is that? I had to be willing to own my circumstances of these fears. These are my fears. I own them. And I had to be honest about them. Because without being honest about this, I had no basis for being able to move forward, make progress, and see real change in my life. To the point you wrote a book. To the point I wrote a book called Financial Sobriety. Not everybody has to write a book, but right? You, but you never know what could come from... Just from a writing exercise. That, yeah, just from that very first step. Matthew, when you think of all the different client examples that we've been able to work with over the years, who comes to mind as kind of that classic example of somebody that was really concerned about what kept them up at night with their money and would they be able to, you know, do the things they wanted to do? Yeah, sure. I think I think we have a lot of examples, but there's one that really comes to mind. About three years ago, I think, is when they first came into the office. 
And I remember them distinctly sitting down in the conference room in your office, really unsure of whether they even had the ability to take that first step because there was just so much fear around what they might discover about their lack of financial security. I mean, they were the perfect examples of ostriches burying their heads in the sand. Sure. They had done an incredible job of accumulating some real money. Right. They were just spending unaware. it every month and right. unaware. And, and when they first came to us, their question was, gosh, we make all this money. We just don't know where it goes every month. And just having the courage to walk in the office and say that to us really, for me, connected the dots back to the very first time I came to you, because that's what I did with you. And that's what they did with us was just this admission, this willingness to be honest about the fact that we make all this money, we're not sure where it goes, and as a result of that, we really don't feel a sense of financial security. This is what keeps us up at night. That's powerful. What was so cool was I, I think it took three, maybe four meetings for them to actually build the courage to sit down, put pen to paper, and actually write out what it was that kept them up at night about money and what financial security would actually look like. And what was really cool was when they did that and brought it into us, I'll never forget when she slid the piece of paper across the table. I mean, it was almost like she sat up taller in her chair. 10 pounds had come yeah, off the her weights, shoulders. the weights had come off. Yeah, it was incredible. Because probably for the first time in her adult life, she was telling her truth. Now, in this case, it was both to herself, to her husband, and to her two financial advisors that were in the room. But really, it was to herself, the things that she was the most concerned about. Yeah, that was so cool to see. That's what this exercise and process hopefully does for you, is gives you a little relief, right? Because you're, you're listening to this podcast because you probably have some pain. You have some pain around money in some form or fashion. Maybe, yeah, we maybe know you why you're here. Maybe you can't put your finger on it yet, but we can. I'm hoping you're here because you want the same kind of relief that I got when I finally had the courage to come in and see you. As you said, it is simple to do. It's just not easy. Oh, it's not easy. What we need to do today is we need to get this down on paper. What keeps you up at night about money? Don't spend more than 10 minutes doing this. Let it flow. Don't judge it. Don't criticize it. Don't correct it. Just let it flow. Let her rip, as you like to say to me. I would also recommend that once you do this, if you have somebody in your life that you could share this with, there's something incredibly healing about sharing some of these dark personal truths with, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a sibling, whether it's a coworker. Hopefully, you have somebody in your life the way I've had you in my life where I got to share these where I got to get them on paper and actually share them. And you know what? If you don't, that's okay. Send us an email, info at financialsobriety.com, and let it rip. Oh, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear it. If you don't have anybody to share that with, we totally honor that that's not a comfortable feeling. You probably have somebody to share it with, but maybe you're not comfortable at this point being able to do that. So in a very anonymous kind of way, send us an email. Where we go from here, the whole process of your financial sobriety and what we're doing here, it's pretty simple stuff, but it's definitely not easy. We've gone through enough today because this first exercise, if, if we attack it honestly and we're thorough with what we write about when it comes to what keeps us up at night about money and 
what we see financial security as in our life. Where we go from here in the next couple of episodes is we're going to dive into the next steps of this one specific relationship that we have with money. From here, this is where we're actually going to start with what we call our bag of crap analysis, which we'll we'll get into this in the next episode, but we kind of named that after a client of ours who came in one day with her big old bag of crap and dumped it on our table. Financial statements, tax return, estate documents, insurance policies, deeds of trust. Everything. Everything you can think of. And she came in because we had sent her this lovely little checklist of all the financial documents that are helpful. And she said, well, here's my bag of crap. <laughs> and proceeded to dump it out over the conference table and spread it all around. And we're like, we're using that one. That's sticking. Yes. So in effect, we, we have this bag of crap analysis, which would be the next module that we're going to talk about in the next episode. And it's really nothing more than than taking an inventory. But you did a really good job at not telling the whole story because it's really an inventory that's a lot more than just your money stuff. Absolutely. And we're not going to give that away today. you got to listen to the next episode of Your Financial Sobriety to get what that is. I, I think we need to wrap here. We've given you a lot to really digest and think about and a lot to write about. So let's call this a wrap for this episode of Financial Sobriety. And don't worry about every exercise, every episode having these uh, difficult journaling exercises. There's going to be interviews. There's going to be different people that we bring into the show in either an interview format or in, in other ways that will give some real life texture to this. Oh, we're going to be having fun with this. But think about building a house, right? The first thing you got to do when you build a house is you got to set the foundation. Yep. That's what we're doing. That's not, it's not sexy. It's not fun. It's not pretty. We don't get to hang the big 72 inch TV on the wall. I mean, we're down in the trenches getting dirty. And so some of these exercises are a little bit like that. But have faith that we're going to take you on a little bit of a ride here that's going to be fun along the way. Yeah, let's let's wrap her up. If you like what you heard today, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website at yourfinancialsobriety.com for more information on upcoming events and how you can buy my book, Financial Sobriety. We'll have a link on the website, which will take you right to Amazon.com where you can buy the book. There's also going to be some information like our two-day live event that we'll be hosting in October of 2020. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And Jim Gebhardt. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance.